Easter Church. Good morning, everybody. Trust, uh, sure. Trust the summer break in schedule uh, is off to a great start for everyone. We uh, we would love to say thank you for your for your prayers for us. Uh, we are gone uh, a fair amount of the time, uh, myself especially. Uh, but Kate and the crew will be gone a bit this summer. Uh, I have five weeks of uh, camp uh, hither and yon. So we began, uh, week number one was in Tennessee last week. We had a fantastic time. Uh, week number two uh, starts uh, a week from today in North Carolina. And then we'll be in Wisconsin. We'll be in Georgia. I'll be in Georgia. I'll be in North Carolina. We will be in Wisconsin. And we will be in uh, Seattle, Washington as well, the end of the summer. We appreciate your prayers when we're not here. That means a lot to us. It's an encouragement to us, and we pray for you. I often will try to send a note uh, to one of the elders saying, praying for the, the Great Adventure family this morning as we're away. And so uh, praying for one another is a big part of body life, and we appreciate that. We are uh, continuing our series in the book of uh, Thessalonians. First Thessalonians, we find ourselves in chapter 5. Chapter 5, and we're continuing uh, uh, a subject matter uh, that I love, a subject matter that's uh, very important, but a subject matter I don't think we hear a lot about these days, and maybe there's not a lot of clarity on this subject matter. So uh, let me just say a few words first about the all-important subject matter of prophecy. Prophecy. How many of you enjoy, enjoy prophecy? Just out of curiosity, prophecy. Um, and when I mean prophecy, let me, let me be specific and clear by saying, not only are we talking about the things that ha- were prophesied long ago that have already been fulfilled. Can you think of any of those sorts of things that have already been fulfilled, like the prophecy about where Jesus w- would be born and when he would be born and how he would be born? That was prophesied in the Old Testament long before it ever happened. And those things have been fulfilled. Uh, There are things that Scripture tell us that haven't been fulfilled yet, that are coming in the future. And we have uh, one of those events that we're going to look at today. Last week, you looked at one of those as well, an event that we sometimes call our, our blessed hope. Our blessed hope. It's the thing that we as Christians, if you're a Christian, these are the things that uh, the event that we're supposed to be looking forward to uh, when when Jesus Christ will will come and take Christian people, uh, rapture uh, the church from the planet. And we will always be from that point on. We will always be with the Lord. Let me ask you this question. I asked you earlier, why do you like prophecy in some or do you like prophecy? And some of you said, yes, I do. And raised your hand uh, enthusiastically this Sunday morning. Uh, why do you like it? Why, why do you like prophecy? Um, there should be a couple reasons that come to mind. Sandy, what comes to mind? I love that. The, word, the, the idea of certainty is, is so comforting to me that we have prophecy. And what that does for us, my friends, is it confirms that we have the truth. We have the truth to see prophecy uh, to see something prophesied and to see it fulfilled to the exact degree 
the exact time, the exact day, the exact place is, is comforting. It brings fulfillment. God said this would happen thousands of years before it happened. It happened exactly the way uh, he said it would happen. That prophecy was fulfilled. That brings us comfort and confidence that we have the truth, that this book, hello, this book is true, and we can trust it. We can trust it. The second reason that I think we should say we love prophecy is because it helps us know how to live today. If we know this is coming, if we know this is what the future holds, we can know that that has implications on us today. It can teach us how we ought to live. So prophecy does two things for us, and and, uh, we'll look at some of it today. It brings about confirmation that we have the truth. We have the truth. And the prophecy helps us to know how to live in light of what the future holds. Here's what we can expect. Here's what's coming. And it should cause us to react in some particular way. Today surely should. I think Mark had the privilege of looking at the, the rapture with you last week. And, and how did that passage conclude? Does anybody remember? How does that passage conclude? Chapter 4, in case you were wondering. We are to comfort one another th- with these words. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Have you done that recently? Hey, the Lord Jesus is coming back. Hang in there. The best is yet to come. Uh, comforting one, another's, uh, one another with these words. How are we supposed to uh, respond to this passage today? It concludes the same way, that we're to comfort one another with these words. So here's events that are coming in the future, and we're supposed to allow these events to comfort us today. Last week was all about uh, the church uh, and all about the fact that people were dying, saved people. They got saved, uh, and eventually they died, and this threw people for a loop. What in the world? What, what happens to these people who are saved to die? And, and that's what last week's uh, passage was really all about. Here's what's going to happen to those folks. And here's what we have to look forward to, uh, to as believers if we don't die. It's a great passage. So that was a prophecy of great comfort to Christians. Uh, we have another one today that uh, isn't as comforting. But nonetheless, it's a prophecy that we have all throughout the Old Testament. We have it here as well, and it should affect the way we think and live. And so we're going to look at the first five, uh, first 11 verses of chapter 5. Uh, would you pray with me as we do this together? I'm going to lead you in prayer, but I encourage you to pray this simple prayer. God, teach me whatever you want me to learn today and take away any distractions. I'm in camp mode a little bit, and so we have the campers play that, that pray that every time. But good for us to pray that as well. Let's, let's pray together. Father, we do ask that you would, you would help us to understand plainly your word today. We thank you, Father, that indeed you have given us information, truth, about what the future holds. What a great thing for us to be able to say, I know uh, what the future looks like. And so, Father, may we understand it. May we respond the right way to it. Father, we thank you of the comfort uh, that, that we saw last week in the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return and, and rapture uh, his church, those who are, are saved believers. 
And from that point on, we will always be together with the Lord. Father, help us as we think about other events that are going to happen in the future. These things haven't happened yet. And so we pray that even as we see these things described, we might live the way uh, this passage tells us to in light of what the future holds. Teach us now, we pray. Take away distractions, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Verse 1 of chapter 5, Paul's writing, and he's saying to this group of uh, newly saved people, this church is not real old. You'll remember Stephen speaking on chapter 1. It's a model church, but they haven't been around for a long, long time. It doesn't have a lot of history to it. And so last week, he wanted to make sure they were informed about something they didn't understand. They were ignorant a little bit in regards to the details of what this thing called the rapture uh, is all about. The word rapture isn't necessarily laid out there, but it's the the return of Christ uh, for his church. Here he begins by saying, you're not ignorant in in regards to this one. I want to talk to you about an event that's going to happen in the future, but you already know about it. Look at what he says in verse 1. Now, as to the times and epochs, uh, the ages... Brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. Why do you think that is? Why do you think it is that in chapter 4, they needed a little help, but in chapter 5, they, they're, they're, they're golden? Any difference? Any guesses as to why in chapter 4, he says, listen, brethren, I don't want you to be uninformed in verse 13. Chapter 5, verse 1, he says, we're good. I don't have to write anything. Why do you think that is? It's not a trick question. What do you think? Perhaps that's it, that he, he already taught them this, or somebody did. They were already aware of this information. In regards to the rapture, there wasn't a lot of teaching about that in the Old Testament. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot of uh, knowledge that they were aware of. And so... That was information that they weren't clear on their thinking, and they, they, were, they were dismayed about that. But here he says, we don't have to go into the details because you already know. Now, maybe that's not true for us, but for them it was. Now, as to the times and epochs, brethren, you, you have no need of anything to be written. Verse 2 tells us this, for you yourselves know full well. They know full well what the, the day of the Lord is all about. You all, Church at Thessalonica, these people, they had a clue. They were aware of what this event really uh, entailed and looked like. But nonetheless, a reminder for them and a reminder for us. Perhaps it is that, that it was already explained to them by Paul. Perhaps it is because there was more information available about this event, the day of the Lord. Nonetheless, he says it. We don't have to say a whole lot. No need of anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. They will not escape. Let me ask you this. Without looking at your footnotes, without Googling, uh, or without turning to uh, related passages, when you hear the phrase, the day of the Lord, what comes to mind? And you're not going to be great at for this one, uh, but, it, but it's helpful to think about what we do know about this. 
They thought about it. They knew about it. Paul's saying, I don't have to write a lot about this one. Needed to correct it. You're thinking in the previous end time event, uh, the rapture, what's going to happen to the church, especially those who have already died. But for this event, I don't need to write a whole lot because you're in the know. You already know. But then he goes on to describe what it is they were aware of. What comes to mind when you think of the day of the Lord? What, how would you define it? What does it include? I'm asking you, and you're not going to get in trouble if you're wrong or if you're, you're uh, incomplete in your answer. What do you think? Judgment. Judgment is, is often uh, always associated with this concept of, of the day of the Lord. Here's God who is holy. He's righteous, uh, and, and he, he cannot allow sin to go unpunished. And, and there's a day coming where his wrath uh, is going to be poured out. We've seen that already. His wrath was poured out on our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when Jesus died, the wrath of God was poured out upon him as he took the penalty for your sins and for my sins. So we could have salvation for free. The day of the Lord has to do with judgment. That's good. What else comes to mind when you think of the day of the Lord? What's that? Okay, so there's an eternality to this concept, the day of the Lord. Uh, has it happened yet? Just to be clear in our prophetic thinking. The, the one he's referring to here hasn't. And, and, and many would say that it, it begins with this event he's describing, the day of the Lord. That, that it includes judgment, it includes wrath, it, it, it includes God's uh, condemnation and and uh, and fury against sin but it also has included in it uh a time of, of great uh glory a time of great uh, uh celebration uh as well what what events would you include in the day of the lord what events would you include in the day of the lord specifically in this context let me help you a little bit with it. It would be uh, uh, begin with, and some would even include the event of last week uh, and say it's all included. And I don't think that's heretical, uh, but a more common interpretation is that it would begin with this event, this event known as the, the tribulation, the tribulation. And, and following the, uh, the tribulation is what? A millennial kingdom, a 1,000 year literal, literal reign on earth. Who will reign with the Lord Jesus? We will. We will. All of this has to do with the day of the Lord and then uh, a new heaven and a new earth and in, in, in eternity uh, to follow. Uh, rapture takes place. Could be today. Could be today. And then all these things are ushered in. The beginning of an event called the tribulation. A seven-year period of time, which will begin in, in what manner? How will the tribulation begin? What will be the, the state of affairs on the planet? There, there will be all kinds of chaos because of what? A rapture has occurred, and so there's a few folks no longer here. And so something has happened where the church, saved people, Christians are, are gone. But then there's, there's a, a treaty that, that is signed early on in the tribulation. Uh, and who, who promotes this thing? This, this individual known as the Antichrist, right? He establishes a, a, a treaty, and it's a, a time of what on the planet? 
it's, it's a time of peace. There's a little clue. It begins that way. The tribulation, the first part of it, 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 it is a time where everything seems to be golden. Believers have left the planet, no doubt. A rapture has occurred, but it's going to be a time of peace because the Antichrist has, has communicated stuff that, such that there's going to be peace all over the world and a, and a treaty, an agreement is signed. It's going to happen one day. We have prophecy so we can know what the future holds and we can have confirmation of the truth that we have. And so it's going to be a time of peace. While they are saying, and in case you wondered, there it is, verse 3. While they are saying peace and safety, everybody thinks that's how it is going to be. The reality is like a thief in the night. Like a thief in the night, destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains uh, upon a woman with child and they will not escape. Look at verse 2 again and, and we'll look at verse 3 as well. For you yourselves know full well when the day of the Lord beginning with the tribulation, will come. It'll come just like a thief in the night. Why will it be like a thief in the night? What's the idea of a thief in the night? There's this, this sense of, I wasn't expecting this to happen. There's this, this idea of, uh, of surprise. Have any of you men or ladies ever wondered what you would do if somebody came into your house, a thief in the night? Have you, have you, has your mind ever wondered uh, about how that would go down? I've done that many times. I don't know what that says about me, but I've done that many times to think about how I would bring the hammer of wrath uh, upon whomever enters, right? But a thief in the night, the idea is that you're not looking for, you're not expecting that, especially if it seems like everything's golden, especially if it seems like there's peace, especially if it seems like everything's fine. There's safety. That's what they will be thinking, my friends. They will be thinking everything's fine. They will be thinking safety. They will be thinking peace. That's why the expression, like a thief in the night, like that, you don't expect it because you think everything's fine. No need for an alarm system. I live in a peaceful neighborhood. No, no, no need to keep the lights on. No need to lock up because everything's golden right now. That's what it's going to be like to begin in the tribulation. Peace and safety. And the Antichrist is going to be promoting this one world peace. And everybody's going to be buying into it. Hook, line, and sinker, and then shablam. It's not a biblical word, but it helps us understand, right? It's going to happen like a thief in the night. He uses the illustration as well as a, uh, a pregnant uh, woman has uh, some difficulty. Sorry about that, ladies, but that's from the garden on, right? That it, it, in childbearing, there will be pain and difficulty. And so it's going to be sudden. It's going to be unexpected. But there also should be an anticipation that it's going to be a, t a difficult time. How do we know that? It tells us. That's the beautiful thing of the word. Word. It reminds us that this is what the event is going to look like. So two great illustrations, two great uh, indicators of what this event, the day of the Lord, starting with a, a tribulation, a seven-year tribulation, is going to be like. First, it's going to be unexpected, like a thief in the night. But what we can count on, they can count on because we gone. What can be counted on in regards to what happens in the day of the Lord is a difficult time. Just like a mom, a, a pregnant mother knows that I'm pregnant now. I've got nine months and, and at the end of this, this is not going to be pleasant regardless of all the, uh, the drugs available. Difficulty, pain, 
like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. It's going to start out unexpectedly. People are going to think there's going to be one world peace. There's going to be a treaty signed. This is what Scripture tells us about. And these people were not ignorant of this. They knew about this somehow. We need to make sure we're not ignorant of it as well. And this is how it's going to go down. And it's not going to be pleasant. And there's no way of escaping it for those who experience it. There's a shift, by the way. There's a shift in chapter 5. Some folks say there's no need for, in the original, for chapters and and, uh, uh, breaks and so forth. But there's a definite shift between the rapture and the tribulation, 4 and 5. There's a shift here as well uh, in regards to pronouns. Do you notice that? Who's the, who's the first part talking about? Verses 1, 2, and 3. You or, or they, right? Specifically, two, uh, 2 and 3, referring to what will happen. Look at, look at the end of, uh, of, verse, of verse 3. And they will not escape. Shift of pronoun emphasis in verse 4. To whom? To you. Who is the you? This is believers. Thank you, Miss Irene. This is saved people. The tribulation is going to be for those who are not. Those who remain on the planet Earth after the rapture occurs. And that will be a chaotic time, no doubt. But it'll also be a time of peace. So when this tribulation begins, it'll take folks by surprise like a thief in the night. But there's going to be serious pain, God's wrath. And that's guaranteed, just like it's guaranteed for a pregnant mama. A difficult time awaits. It's coming. The wrath of God. The last half of the tribulation is surely uh, uh, a lot worse than the first half. We know that as we look at the seven years described in Scripture. But this promises that it will not end well. It would be a time of great destruction and death and wrath being poured out on those who remain on the planet. Let me just ask you this question. Will that be you? No assumptions can be made uh, or should be made. So important for us to think about when the Lord comes back to rapture the church. Who goes first, by the way, in the rapture? The dead, right? The dead in Christ will rise first. So those who are believers who have died. And then and then who's next? Those of us who are alive and remain will be what? Caught up. That's the, the, the rendering for the word rapture. Snatched. Caught up. And we'll meet the Lord where? In the air. And then we will always be with the Lord. Isn't that great news? That's great news for a believer. And so it's important for us to think this morning, am I a believer? Will I experience that event that's going to happen in the future? Or will I experience this event that's being described? Because if I'm not saved, if I'm not a Christian, the Lord Jesus returns, I will experience this this time of wrath. I will experience it, and it will seem like peace, but then, bam, there will be great destruction. God's pouring out of judgment and wrath. But for us believers, he says, now, while this event hasn't happened, here's how we need to live. Here's how we need to live. We know about the rapture, which was talked about last week, chapter 4, and that should affect the way we live. So should the, the tribulation, which ushers in the day of the Lord. 
What are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to think? How are we supposed to live now on the planet knowing that this awaits? This is an event that will happen in the future. But you, brethren, describes in the, uh, Paul describes in the next several verses our condition. And he uses contrast with those who are, who are saved and those who are not saved. Listen to how, how he does so in verses 4 and 5. But you, brethren, are not in darkness. This is the reality of your condition because you are a saved individual. You've trusted in Christ. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. This isn't going to happen to you. This is your reality. You're not in darkness, brethren, that the day should overtake you like a thief. Verse 5, for you, notice again the use of the word you, talking to believers now, that's shifted. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. As we leave uh, in a bit, may we be reminded, may we leave uh, knowing that we are uh, described this way. We are sons. This is not just for the fellows, by the way, but describes our condition. We are, we are people of sons of light and sons of day. That's who we are. We are different because of the one who lives in us, because we are children of God. Here's the reality. This is not what you will experience because this is not who you are. This is who you are, however, sons of light and sons of day. Does that describe you? Is that a reality of your saved condition here today? If you know Christ, indeed it is. For we are not of night nor of darkness. So then, in light of the fact that this is who we are and this is what we are like, it says this in verse 6, so, let, so then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. What in the world is Paul talking about here? Let us not sleep. Is he talking about uh, uh, something that we, uh, as adults, don't get much of but would love to have? Rest, physical rest. Is that what he's talking about? He's not talking about a, a, a nap here, which would be a beautiful thing this afternoon. Won't happen, but I, I, I long for such a thing. He, he's not talking about a nap here. He's talking about spiritual condition. He's talking about the fact that if you have come to the point in place where you've trusted in Christ as your Savior, you realize, man, alive, I'm a sinner. And I know what I deserve. I know what Scripture says I deserve because of my sin. I deserve death. And the consequences of my sin, which is ultimate separation from God in a, in a horrible place of torment, the lake of fire. If you come to the place where you say, I need to trust in Christ and Christ alone, your condition changes. We shouldn't live like we used to be then because we're not who we used to be. The old is gone. The new has come. We are now sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us instead be this way. What's the sleep? This is describing how those who are not sons of light and those who are not sons of day live. This is describing an immoral lifestyle, a condition uh, of those who don't know Christ. And he's saying, Paul is saying, we shouldn't live this way. If we are, and it is true that we are sons of day and sons of light, 
We ought to live like it. And so what do we need to do in order to live like that? I wish I knew. I have no idea. Oh, wait, it tells us. What does it say? We're not this way. Here's who we are. So then let us not sleep as others do. We are not supposed to be like this world in which we live. We're not supposed to look like them. We're not supposed to smell like them. We're not supposed to be like them, the world in which we live. Sleep describes their immoral condition. My footnote says not physically sleep, but morally sleep. These folks are asleep in their immorality, and that's not who we are. And so what are we supposed to be? You tell me two things. We're supposed to be alert. Now, here's the reality. I just need to tell you this. My father-in-law, who's been with the Lord over 10 years now, uh, used to share the same corny joke that my father continues to share. And here's the, here's the inherited reality. I, I, I have to confess, I share it too. I have embraced, I know, I have embraced the reality of the corny jokes that I have heard my entire existence. I could just tell you the number of the joke. Number 12. That's a good one, isn't it? I love that one. My brother-in-law, Stefan, who is here, uh, uh, being grafted into the family, uh, embraces corny jokes as well, seriously. And so my dad and my father-in-law used to always say, and that was part of the Johnson tradition as well. I know Ron Johnson, Stefan's dad. Whenever this word alert would come up, they would say, anybody know it? Say it with me. Be alert. The world needs more alerts. Think about it. You'll get it over break time, which is in just a few moments. Uh, the refreshments of wait. Be alert. Alert. The world needs more. Right, Luke? Come on. In all seriousness, what is Paul, what Paul saying here? We need to take the reality of, of the way things are seriously. We need to be wide-eyed and awake. We need to be alert. We need to be aware. Look at what it says. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. Sober. This has nothing to do with the con consumption of anything. This sober word has to do with not being distracted uh, or deluded in our thinking mindset by anything. That we are wide awake and alert and aware of what's going on around us. And that's why Paul goes into detail about this event. Here's how we are to live, friends. We're not going to experience this one, and we'll see that more clearly in just a moment. But in the meantime, while we live in a dark world, while we live in a world where people are sleeping spiritually, we need to live as those who are awake and alert and clear in our thinking. Why should we do that? Why? A good answer would be because we're told to. But there's other reasons as well. Folks, those who don't know Christ are going to experience the tribulation that awaits. And that's not a pleasant time. After the tribulation, eternal torment ultimately uh, will be their, their 
reality. And so we as believers now can live as alerts, alert. We can be awake. We can be sober in our thinking and live the way we're supposed to live. For us, my friends, this is the worst it's going to be. You know that? For a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, the best is yet to come. For an unbeliever, this is as good as it gets. This is as good as it gets. And so we can testify by what we say, but also by what we do. And so Paul says, live the way you're so, supposed to be, supposed to live, as sons of light and sons of day. So then let us not sleep. And there is a reality that there are believers who sleep. There are believers who are not living the way believers ought to live. 1 John 2.28 says this, Now little children, abide, stay, remain, continue, so that when he appears, the Lord Jesus Christ, we will have confidence and not shrink away in shame. That's written to believers. And the believer is challenged to live this way, to be alert, to be sober, to be focused and not deluded or distracted by anything, so that when the Lord comes back and the day of the Lord is ushered in, we will be ready, we will be waiting, we will be anticipating, and we will have confidence and not say, oops, I'm sorry, I was sleeping. I'm sorry, I was distracted. I'm sorry, I was just not aware of all the realities before me and, and was living in light of the confusion of our culture today. Believers, we're supposed to wake up. We're supposed to be sober in our thinking. We're supposed to act like we are sons of light and sons of day. For those who sleep do not do their sleeping at night. And those who get drunk get drunk at night. Further description of the immorality being described in this sleeping state. Not physical, but spiritual. But since we are of the day. Isn't that great? Since we are of the day, we're, we are different. And we should look differently and live differently. Since we are, verse 8, but since we are of the day, let us be sober. Having put on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. In the meantime, three things, parts of the armor of Ephesians 6 are mentioned here. The sword isn't, by the way. But the reality, we still should use it. The reality is that we are to emphasize faith, the breastplate of faith, and love and hope. Different order, but three uh, common themes throughout the, the New Testament, right? Here it's, it's faith. Here it's love. And here it's hope. This idea of faith. Believing in the reality and existence of God and responding in obedience to Him. We're supposed to live in faith. Faith, uh, uh, a life lived by faith is a life of trust, is a life of belief. Here's what God has said. And I will protect myself uh, by being a man, a woman of faith. The breastplate of faith. And, and love. This idea of doing the highest good for the one or the object being loved. 
the way we are supposed to treat one another, the one another statements that we've looked at together as well. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith, trust, belief, and love, and as a helmet, the, the hope of salvation. Here's the reality of what uh, is true. That Christ died for our sins, was buried, rose again, and was seen. We, as children of, uh, uh, of God, the sons of day and sons of light, have something called salvation. We've been set free from what we deserve, death, and we've been rescued and delivered from it. We're supposed to keep that in our minds and hearts. Think the right way. Faith, love, hope. And then he says this all-important statement in verse 9. Verse 9, he says, For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining the salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Who is he? The Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, so that whether we awake or whether we are awake or asleep, we shall live together with him. What a great statement about our eternal security. Here's the standing that is true for a believer who is saved. We shall live with him. Verse 9 is an important verse. What does verse 9 indicate for us? This is a central passage for something. What is that, that something? And I'll help you if it just doesn't jump to mind. Okay, that's, that's a reality for, for this, this uh, passage having to do with our salvation. But there's something specific we're looking at here in verse 9 that we dare not miss. It helps us uh, have comfort that we won't experience what was just described. Look at what it says. For God has not destined, there's the election part, no doubt, T. For God has not destined us for wrath. That's not his plan for those who are saved. Do you remember Stefan's message uh, as we were in chapter 1 uh, clearly today? Do you remember every point of it? Perhaps not, but so let me remind you. Let me remind you. Even let's turn there just for a moment uh, to chapter 1. Stefan and I talked about this after his message, which I enjoyed very much. And in chapter 1, there's a, there's a, uh, a triad, uh, uh, an emphasis on what happened to these believers in Thessalonica. Three things. Three things that are mentioned in chapter 1 early and later in chapter 1 as well. This, this work of faith, this labor of love, this steadfastness of hope. Do you see that? Verse 3 says this, Constantly bearing in mind your, your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope. So when people were gossiping in an appropriate way about what happened in Thessalonica, they were saying about these people that, you know what? They have, they have turned to God from idols. They have turned to the one true God from, from all that is false. Verse 9. For they themselves report about uh, us what kind of reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols. They were saying about that about these people. They turned to God from idols. That was the work of faith. They turned to God from idols. Have you done so? Have you turned to the one true God from everything that is false and have accepted his salvation gift through his son Jesus? That's the work of faith that we would believe. But then it goes on to say what else they were known for in this young church. 
to serve a, a living and true God, this, this labor of love, that they were serving the one true God and those who were part of the body of Christ to serve the living and true God. And then it says their steadfastness of hope. What's the end in verse 10? Look at it with me. You'll see the correlation, I hope. And to wait for his son. That's our job, by the way. We get saved. We turn to God from idols. And, and after we get saved, this work of faith, then we, we serve the living and true God. And as we are serving the living and true God, we are waiting for what? His son to return. We're waiting for the rapture. But look at what it says in chapter 1, verse 10. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. That's true. Christ died, was buried, rose again, he, and was seen. Now he's at the right hand of the Father. That is Jesus, who rescues us from what? You've got to say it. You've got to see it. It's important. Who rescues us from what? The wrath to come. To come. There's wrath coming, and it's coming in a, in a time known as the tribulation. And we as believers can be confident that we will not go through it. For God has not destined us for wrath. All of that was taken care of for a believer when, when Christ died for our sins. God's wrath was poured out on his son. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. The wrath for us has been taken care of. But there's a wrath to come for those who have not been saved, have not trusted in Christ. And we are going to be kept from it. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. What did he do? Who died for us? What's the effect? So that whether we are awake or asleep, regardless of how we live, contextually understand that. We will live together with him if we are truly his. What are we supposed to do with this information? The same thing we were supposed to do with the information last week. Therefore, comfort, encourage one another, and build one another up just as you are also doing. You know what that means? We're going to have to go beyond the surface trivial interactions with one another and we're going to have to be willing to dig a little deeper so we can say to one another you know what it's okay even though life is hard is life hard for any of you or maybe we should say it this this way it, it, is it, is life easy for any of you as believers i was in first peter all last week and it promises that with with salvation we get to suffer it comes with it. It's part of the inheritance. And we can suffer well for his glory. So we're supposed to come alongside one another and say, you know what? He's coming back one day. He's coming back one day. And things might be difficult now, but don't forget, this is the worst it's going to be for us. And so let's live like we are supposed to be. Let's live like who we are. And let's comfort one another as we do so. We have prophecy, my friends. It's laser-like in clarity, chapter 4 and chapter 5. We've been given prophecy by God for, for a couple of great reasons. It confirms that this book is true and all that's in it. This is the truth. And we need, need to live in light of this truth. It doesn't matter 
how you think or how you feel or your take on things. This is our absolute standard. And prophecy confirms that we have the truth. And prophecy also says you better live in light of it. Let me ask you this question as we close, and we'll give thanks for refreshments in just a twinkle. What is your reaction to this information today? If you, had to, if you had to express one response to these 11 verses, what is it? What is it? I'm asking if that's okay with the elders. I'm asking, what's your reaction to this truth? As I sip my iced vanilla latte. Yeah, it really is. It's good news and bad news. Yeah. Let's be alert. Who are we, by the way? I forget what we're called. Sons of light and and sons of day. That describes believers. It's a convicting passage. Maybe, Maybe you're here today and you've never trusted in Christ and you're thinking, good night. If this is true, future is not bright for me and my encouragement is that is the case but when you trust in Christ and receive salvation that is free in him your future can be full of hope that will not disappoint if we are believers a lot of uh, encouragement for how we ought to live and confidence that we will not experience the wrath of God to come any other reactions before I pray That's right. That's right. Yeah. I quoted uh, Amy Grant. Did anybody remember Amy Grant from back in the day? Songs from the Loft. Are you kidding me? I quoted from the, the Loft uh, this last week. Uh, one of the songs. It goes like this. I won't sing it to you. Be glad. Uh, but it goes like this. Uh, we believe in God and we all need Jesus because life is hard and it might not get easier. So don't be afraid to know who you are and don't be afraid to show it. This passage challenges us to do that, to know who we are and to let that be seen, living in light of what the future holds. Father, help us, I pray, to rejoice in the fact that we have prophecy. It confirms clearly that your word is true, and it shares with us what the future looks like for us as believers, and we praise you that this passage has great news for believers. But it has terrible news for unbelievers. And so we pray that we would be willing to consider our spiritual state today. Are we saved or are we not? And if we're unsaved, Father, we pray that those who might be might trust in your Son. Experience the work of faith by believing, accepting this free gift of salvation. For those of us who are saved, may we rejoice in our standing and what is true of our future, but may we also live 
like, we should, like we're supposed to live today. Help us not to be asleep in our behavior. Help us to be alert and sober and awake. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Giving thanks for the refreshments before us. Amen and amen. Amy Grant.